Heavenly Father, we love you and we praise you. God, um, we want to learn all about your love. Lord, we want to allow you the opportunity to define what your love means. Jesus, thank you so much for um, the way that you love us. Would you just reveal that in all of its fullness this morning in Jesus' name? Amen. If you need a Bible, uh, got a couple of Bible fairies walking around the room. If you do have a Bible with you, go ahead and open to 1 Corinthians 6. Um, now, a lot of you guys were here with us last week. Um, we've been going through... Shh, boys. I see you. Mm-hmm. Uh, ah. <laughs> Uh, we've been talking about this series about real love versus fake love. It's something that we've been, we've been talking about the past couple of weeks, and we're going to continue to talk about all the way through June. And we're taking, a, we're taking an extended look at purity, um, because oftentimes when it comes to love, when it comes to what it means to be a child of God, this is the area that we so let easily influence us by the world around us, or even by our own actions or experiences and Last week, we actually spent a lot of time talking about sex, and we, we, had a, we spent a lot of time talking about purity, and so um, if this is your first day, I'm sorry, <laughs> you know, we don't normally talk about this topic right off the bat, but at the same time, you can't fault it for being irrelevant. It's something that is so, so real, and it's something that goes on in your lives. Um, it's something that you're surrounded by, and that doesn't discredit the fact that you can be a man or a woman of God amidst a world like that. We talked about how you can't indulge in it because the world might say you can do whatever you want, do what feels right. But at the same time, you can't deny your sexuality. God made you with the sexuality to be used to honor him and to live it out in front of them. And so we find ourselves in this place of how do I live it out in the way that God intended? How does it give me life then in this place? We talked about how sex is something that's created by God and it's something that's defined by him. And that in the context of God's idea for sexuality, there is no shame in it. There's no shame at all in it. But it's when we get into sexual immorality is where we get into the brokenness, into the shame part of it, into the messiness of it. And so if you guys are in 1 Corinthians 6, I just want to give you a little background to this book because the city at which Paul, who is this apostle, he was a pastor, writing a letter to the people who's leading. It would be the equivalent of me or Israel writing a letter to you guys. And the culture that they were in was one that was very, very sexual. And in much more, in fact, than the one that we're living in right now. So much to the point where there was, it was a common practice to, to sleep with a prostitute. Just, it, was, it was just as, as flippant as just going about your day. And so here comes this group of Christians who are trying to live differently from that, and they look radically different from the world around them. But you can imagine the messiness of the church and the messiness of the people trying to live in purity among a world like that. So when you look at a letter like Corinth, we actually relate to a lot of it because our culture is very similar in some ways to them. And so Paul is um, he's writing this letter to this culture um, where it's almost, I, I would describe it as this, it's almost like an assumption culture. And this is what I mean by it. How many of you have ever watched a television show and the director or the person that created it just walked up in front and said, hey, this show is going to feature adultery. 
It's going to feature sexual immorality. It's going to feature divorce. It's going to promote this. Enjoy! No, it doesn't do that. And yet, while you watch the show, you see these assumptions happen within it. You see these assumptions happen within culture where it says divorce is okay. It subtly speaks that to you. It says adultery is okay. It says sexual promiscuity or immorality, that's okay to do. And so it's even interesting to look at our culture, maybe even just think about what your favorite TV show is. Think about your favorite TV show and what are some of the assumptions that it's teaching you. Think about your favorite athlete. Think about the way that they live their lives and some of the assumptions are the ways that they live their lives. It's the way that we are shaped. It's the context. It's the culture that we live in and that we're called to be pure men and women of God in it. As we said last week, healthy sexuality is anything within the context of God's plan for sex. Sexual immorality is anything below that context or simply changing it. It's warping this, it, this idea that God has for us. It's taking pieces of it. Even so much as looking at someone lustfully is taking this thing that God so beautifully made and saying, no, I want to use it this way and warping it, which is true of all of God's gifts for that matter. If you take God's gift and warp it into your own idea, it becomes unhealthy for you. Knowing what it is helps you understand what it isn't. And that's huge because the sexual immorality that's in our world, it's disguised as love. And I think that's where it gets kind of confusing and can get tough to just kind of wrap our heads around it because the world does these things and then it says that's what love is. And so although we may be similar to the world in saying that we want to love people around us, the way that we go about it and the way that we practice it looks very, very different from the world around us. In fact, even so much to the point where maybe there could be a group of people that look at you and say, you're unloving by the way that you live following Jesus. There's a difference and there's this battle over the definition of what love really is. And it's something that, that, that's just true of the world that we live in. Paul had an understanding of that and was, and was writing to a culture like that. And this is what he says I'm going to read the entire passage to you, and we're going to go through it together. If you're in chapter 6, go ahead and look at verse 12. He says, I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. You say food for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy them both. The body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead, and he will raise us also. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall then I take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said, the two will become one flesh. But whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body. But whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you, not, <clears throat> do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Can we all say amen to God's word? I think out of all the responses that Paul could have had, Paul could have dove in and began to just one by one firefight all the ways that they were immoral and all the ways that they were falling short. I think it's very, very 
very telling that he would start, I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. You know, you might have the freedom to do whatever you want sexually, but that doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to benefit you the most. And that's something we can relate to as a culture. A culture says, do whatever you feel is best. I have the right to do anything with my body. Paul says, you might, but that doesn't necessarily mean that it's bringing you life. That doesn't mean that it's not bringing you harm. He even says, I have the right to do anything, but I won't be mastered by anything. In a world that thought, if you can do whatever you want sexually, that's real freedom. And yet Paul says, well, actually, that's slavery. You're becoming enslaved to that sin. You know, the very thing that you thought was freedom is now you're actually a servant to it. You're a slave to that sin. But I won't be mastered by anything. Then he goes on to say a powerful just point. He says, the body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. I think that's powerful because he doesn't say our body is not meant for sexual immorality, so stop it. He says, but actually it's meant for the Lord, and the Lord was meant for your body. That you're not just saying no to one thing, but you're saying yes to something much, much greater. We talked a lot about that last week, about how purity isn't something just, you're not solely just avoiding sin in your guys' lives, but you're pursuing Jesus in it. Can I get a big amen from the room on that? We are pursuing Jesus in our purity. That is the heart behind it. We're not just holding off until marriage. If you walk away thinking that is the heart of purity, you've missed it. Because you're called to courageously live out the life of purity that God has for you right now. Right now. Living in purity is something that you proclaim and live out in every single season. Whether you're young, whether you're old, whether you're single, whether you're dating, whether you're married. Every day is a commitment to the purity that God wants to have for all of you. I love, last year we had a, um, I had a junior hire come up and ask me a question um, through a Q&A session. He said, is it possible to have unhealthy sex within marriage? And I was like, are you, you know, I wanted to ask him, are you getting engaged or something? Like, but what an what a excellent question to ask. Can it be unhealthy within marriage? And the answer is yes. Because the call to purity is something not just based on, oh, I'm married, now I can do whatever I want. That is not the heart of purity. Purity is honoring the people and honoring yourself every single day of your lives, no matter what situation or context you find yourself in. And see, that's, that's what purity really is. We're not just saying no to something, but we're saying yes. But we do that amidst a culture that says something very, very differently. And it's important to understand the world that we live in because of how radically different we are going to look within that context. The truth of the matter is that there, there are people in this room right now that are hurting. When I tell them that you're supposed to be a man of purity or a woman of purity, you might say to yourself, but you don't know what I struggle with. You don't know how I sinned this weekend or this last week. You don't know, I can't break this sexual sin in my life. You don't know what I've been through, and you're just, I can't, I can't do that. I can stand off to the side and cheer people on, but I can't enter the game. And then there are people in this room who might not be struggling with sexual sin, but you're so scared of the world around you, and you're so afraid that you're like, I don't know what to do. I'm so afraid of, being, of even the word purity or even the word sex because what it might do to me. It's this culture that we live in that affects us in so many different ways. 
And when we say we want to be pure, it begins amidst a very real world that we live in. When you think about sexuality, you might think about marriage. But actually, it's something that's played out every day in our lives. Living out your purity happens every day, whether you know it or not. It happens every single day, whether you know it or not. You might be like, really? How, Jeff? Well, the truth of the matter is, it's not just expressed in a sexual way, but it's expressed in the words that come out of your mouth. It's expressed with the things that you see with your eyes, the things that you give your eyes to. It's expressed in the people that you've put yourself around or the people that you find yourself around. See, I think a good word to talk about when we talk about um, purity is lust. Maybe you guys have heard this word before, but in a biblical definition, it's, it's described as a strong craving or a desire, often in a negative tone. And lust is not love. Let's, let's get that clear together, that lust is not love. Because the world might declare that that might be love, but it's not. In fact, Jesus would go as far as to say in Matthew 5, 27, he says, if you even look at someone lustfully, that you've committed adultery in your heart. And he makes this clear distinction that if you look at, it's not just look at someone, but it's, it's look at them lustfully. And I think there's a major difference between temptation or just acknowledging that something or someone is beautiful and lusting. Because lusting is this giving over to yourself to whatever that is. And so it's, it's holding on to this idea because the enemy in the world might throw ideas into your head, but it's, it's, it's our response and it's our choice in those little moments, those everyday moments of what we want to do with that. To give it to God or to hold on to it and to fantasize and to let it grow. I think that, you know, lust is something that, that can take place in so many different forms. It can take place in the speech that you have. That you can actually lust towards someone in the way that you speak to them. And what are, what are the things that you promote in another person? Are you promoting their body? Or are you promoting their heart? What is the most important thing in the speech that's going around? What about even just the physical or the images that we, we choose to see or give importance to? What about even the emotional things that we allow ourselves to be attached to? You know, when we think about our world around us, um, you know, I think that it can be easy to look at, for example, let's say someone is stuck in pornography. You know, tends to be more that guys get stuck in pornography, not saying that that's a problem for everyone. But did you know, have you guys ever seen those romantic books in your Fred Meyer, you know, where you're going through the aisle and it's like, it's some dumb romantic fantasy. Those books are the number one selling in the nation. And you want to know why? It's because of the emotional attachment and the fantasy that happens in it. Even though it's not visual, it's not graphic, there's this emotional attachment. There's this emotional lust that happens within it. Lust is this thing that happens around us and tries to manifest itself in so many ways from the very way that we dress, the way that we portray ourselves to other people, and vice versa. I think it's a personal thing that we go through, but it's also culture. We live in a lust culture. I think that, um, would you guys agree in saying that beauty is a little bit important in our culture around us? Can I just, it's, it's very important. In fact, studies show that if someone is more attractive physically, that you'll listen to them better. 
that you'll actually that you'll actually give them more respect, which is why you all respect me. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Debatable, just from the side. <laughs> but think about this as well. Did you know there's a correlation between beautiful people and sentencing when it comes to crimes that they get a lesser sentence? Did you know that there's a correlation between self-esteem and beauty in our culture? We promote beauty so, so much. Just look at the front cover of a magazine. What, is, what does it promote? Beauty. Beauty. It promotes the outward appearance. And although it doesn't seem like absolute death in the moment of looking at it, it's still poison. And it's still lust being promoted in our culture. And I think that's where lust can sometimes try to work its way into our lives by making you think that your battle for purity is this thing that just happens every once in a while. After a couple of months, here it is again, and you just got to... But it's this daily commitment to just rise above and to say, I'm not going to give myself over to that. I'm going to give myself over to the Lord. You know, I think one of the... How many of you guys have had to take a business class or learn about business in school? Probably not a lot of you guys, except them. They're the smart ones. You're in high school. (laughs) You know, one thing about business is that they look at the desires and they look at the wants of people and then they produce products to be able to, so that they'll buy it. So they'll, 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 they'll meet your needs. For example, I love Chipotle. A lot of people love Chipotle. So people make it, and then all of a sudden, it's because of this deep desire to want Chipotle inside of us that keeps us coming back. It's not like you go by a Chipotle, and you're like, I, did I like that place or not? Um, I don't know. I'm going to go to Taco Bell. No, there's this opening to our desires that it, it actually preys on. And you know what? One of the greatest things that businesses in our society preys on is your sexuality. Because the truth of the matter is, when it comes to anything, whether it's sexual, whether it's a movie, whether it's music, they like to prey on your sexuality. Did you know porn brings in more money than the MLB, the NBA, and the NFL combined? It brings in more than all of that combined because it's, it's literally looking at you and saying, I'm going to market to one part of you, and I'm going to take that part from you. And we're talking about real love, and we're talking about fake love, guys. That is not love. People preying on you, and they don't care how messed up or how broken someone might get, because as long as they get their money, they're good. That's the world that we live in. And that's the difference between God's love, which brings life, and the world's love, which is preying on you for selfish gain, even if it means your death. You know, I even think that there's so much to say from a just a porn culture, or even just a lustful culture, because now this, this idea of what does it mean to be a man, what does it mean to be a woman, has completely changed. In order to be a man in this world means you got to be strong, you got to physically look the part, you got to be intimidating, you got to lord over women. That is wrong, and that's not biblical, and that is not what the Lord has. And to be a woman, you just have to go with the flow. Your body has to be perfect. You have to control your man through your body, and that's wrong. That's what the world puts forth. And so all of a sudden, these assumptions about what it means to be a man and what it means to be a woman seeps into our lives. And then we feel like we can't measure up or that we never fit in. But the truth is that you're just not fitting into this world because God has so much, something so, so much greater for you. I think lust 
is something that hurts you, not necessarily others. It can lead to you hurting others, but just as it says in verse 12, I have the right to do anything, but that doesn't mean everything is beneficial. And even down at the bottom, he says that all other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body, that it hurts you and it takes something from you. This is an example I just want to show you guys right now. It's, it's a picture of this is what you would look like in the world's love. And you, let's say you were living in the world, so this is you, you're a yellow piece of paper. Okay? With each time that you give in to the world's definition, whether it's big chunks or whether it's small chunks, Oftentimes, I can tell you from just someone who, on his just on my college tennis team, there were no Christians up until my junior year, and a lot of them lived sexually however they wanted. But they were some of the most unhappy people. They were some of the most greatest voids, some of the most broken people. And I think that's where lust can have its have its effect on us. Is right here. It's in the brokenness that happens. And it's hard and it's tragic and it's, I can tell you right now, for many of us, that's where we find ourselves right now in this room. We find ourselves maybe just broken. Maybe we feel like we've given something away to someone. I just want to tell you right now, we're going to get to the good news. We're going to go uphill the rest of the way. I want to tell you that Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you and he forgives you. And he's here to heal you and here to deliver you. God loves you, and God wants to meet you right where you're at right now and forgive you and, and bring you out of that. In fact, it's almost as if God wants to take the time you spent going after the things of this world, and he wants to take that time and replace it with time going after him. Can I get an amen? God has so much in store for us. God has so much life to speak over us. Because the truth of the matter is the world does not define us. God is our definer because he's our creator. He's the only one that has a right to say who you are and who you aren't. Ladies in the room, you are beautiful. And this is why, because God created you that way. Not because of your physical body, but because of your heart. And if any guy comes along and doesn't love you in that same way, don't give your heart to him. He doesn't deserve you. In fact, what I'll say is the person who's going to love you the most is going to be the person who cares least about your appearance and most about your heart. It's the people who care most about your appearance that don't really love you, that don't really love you. And dudes in the room, where are my dudes? My dudes. Dudes, you are men of God because of what God says over you. You don't have to be timid. You don't have to be afraid. You don't have to hide about being a man of God because you're scared that you're going to fall short. You guys are spiritual leaders, and you can be courageous in that. You can take a hold of that. 
You have the power. You have the authority to do that in the Lord. And God loves you. And God has grace for you. That is one of the hardest things for a young man to learn is the grace of God over their lives. Because they think, I don't deserve it. Well, no one deserves it. And yet God gives it freely. Freely in abundance to us. And you guys get to be in purity with one another. Dudes in the room don't get to take from the women, but they get to lift them up in the same way that the women in this room get to lift up the men. They get to speak life over one another, not speak lust over one another. Amen? We get to speak life. We get to live that out with one another. And what I'll just say as well is that where lust has hurt you, Jesus wants to heal you. And where lust gives you fear, God wants to give you courage. In the places where maybe you've been hurt by sexual immorality, God wants to heal you. And maybe you're sitting here and you're just scared of the world around you. God wants to give you the courage to be the man or the woman of God that he's called you to be, even amidst that world. It doesn't mean you're ignorant of the world that's around you and the dangers of it. It just means you're innocent. I know that there's danger out there, but I'm choosing the Lord. Because I know that when I spend time with him, you go from this to this. This is what happens to you. You find yourself in this place and you come to the Lord and he makes you like this. He makes you whole again and he makes you new. And I think there's power in that because he not only makes the heart whole again, but he teaches us how to live with a whole heart. God is so good at teaching us how to live in freedom. I had a, I had a friend who goes to this church. He's about my age. And when he was in high school, he was struggling, he was struggling a lot with porn. And he went to a camp, and he prayed that God would take it away. And in that moment, God took it away. It was a miracle of God. And there were like, he just described as like three people like, dang, I wish, I wish it was that easy. I wish it was that easy just to be in purity, that God could just change me like that. And many of us understand what that's like, where we prayed for something. God, would you remove this? And yet it seems like it just stays in the same place. But God is a God of healing, and he's a God of deliverance. That God wants to teach you faithfully how to live in purity each day. He wants to teach us how to walk in that. He wants to teach us how to pursue him daily for our daily bread. He wants you to teach him how to pray to him and to ask for help and to rely on him so that you may keep your feet from evil, but keep your feet on the path of the Lord. You see, that's where... Actually, an interesting study says, it's been studying addictions, it's been studying strongholds and habits, and it was saying that, this, this article came out last year, it says that the opposite of an addiction isn't necessarily sobriety, which means just like cutting everything out of your life. It's community. Community. These relationships, these healthy relationships with one another are the thing that actually helps people get out of addictions, whether it's alcohol, drugs, pornography, you name it. And it's the truth of God because what God wants is he says, I want to enter into relationship with you. And that's how you get out of the strongholds. That's how you get out of this world is by entering into relationships with me. And entering into relationships with one another as a family of God. That's how you overcome it. That's how you overcome it. Titus 2.11, another letter written by Paul he says in, verse, in chapter 2, verse 11, for the grace of God has appeared. 
that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. I think that's interesting that he says it's not punishment that teaches you to say no to ungodliness. It says the grace of God teaches you how to say no. Because the only way that you can say no to the things of this world is by saying yes to the Lord and saying yes to his grace and by saying yes to his forgiveness. Maybe that's you this morning. Maybe you're just so, I don't deserve God's forgiveness, but I want to get out of this. Maybe God's saying, you need to allow me to forgive you. Allow me to completely. Yeah, it's not fair, but it's the only way that your heart will be transformed and that you'll find peace is by letting me forgive you out of grace. It comes with that intimacy and commitment. Last week, we talked about how sex is intimacy. It's this face-to-face relationship that you have, and God wants that same face-to-face close relationship with us. We talked about how sex is commitment, that you can't enter into that without entering to everything else. And in the same way, God doesn't want a puppy love. God doesn't want a flaky in-and-out love with us, but he wants a full-on, deep, strong love with us. And you know what? When you enter into that intimate and committed relationship with God, where you go deep and you stay deep with the Lord, you begin to find healing and you begin to find deliverance. And in those places where you were hurt because your time was given over, to other things, that same time is now given over to God and it has the opposite effect. Instead of bringing death, it brings life. It brings life. Maybe this morning the question you got to ask is, how intimate is my relationship with the Lord? How committed is my relationship with the Lord? Because if that's the place where God wants to meet me, maybe I need to go there. Maybe I need to make space for that deep commitment in the Lord. As well... Just as it says, it teaches us to say no to the things of this world. In a practical sense, Jesus would say, if your hand is causing you to sin, cut it off. And he's not saying like, literally, you know, cut it off. What he's saying is spare no expense. If something is bringing you death in your life, cut it out. If your Instagram or your Twitter is causing you to sin, delete it. It's okay. You'll still be popular. Trust me. Maybe you're, you're just hanging around the wrong people and you just need to get out of that. Maybe you need to delete your entire social media. Spare no expense. Maybe you're just dressing in a certain way to promote your body and you need to just cut it out. Cut it out of your life. You need to change that. Because it's only bringing death. It's not bringing you to life. Maybe, maybe you need to just stop investing so much in your image. And you need to start investing in your heart. You're saying no to those things because you're saying yes to Jesus. And I think on a cultural level, your love is going to be so different from the people you know at school. It already is a lot different than maybe a lot of your friends at school who don't know Jesus. Maybe even at home. Maybe even just some of your closest friends. And I think when we align our definition of love with God, then we move forward. We don't align our definition with the world and then come to God but we align our definition with God and then move forward into the world. You know, lust is not love, but write this down if you guys are taking notes. Lust is not love, but lust attempts to serve love's purpose. Lust attempts to serve the same purposes that love fulfills in our lives. 
So the question that you should be asking isn't necessarily, what is my behavior looking like? What am I doing on the outside? But what function am I trying to fulfill through that said behavior? What am I getting out of dressing the way that I am? What am I getting out of inappropriately talking to someone or snapping someone? What am I really going for in that? And oftentimes it's, I just want to be acknowledged. I just want to be loved. I just want to be noticed. I just want to matter. And the saying, looking for love in all the wrong places, is so true of sexual immorality because you can only find love and satisfaction in Jesus and following him. And that satisfaction that you're craving so badly and you're looking for in the wrong places, it's a, it's a change of where you're finding your hunger and satisfaction, which is in Christ. That's what Jesus wants, and purity starts with our hearts. And so maybe this morning as well, you just need to ask, what am I trying to do? What am I trying to fulfill by doing the things that I do? Because God wants to get down to that heart. And so um, we're, gonna, we're actually going to close this morning just in prayer right now and just in a response. And so if you guys want to bow your heads, um, just right where you're at. You know, oftentimes we think that we can't approach God with the things that are going on in our heart because we're too ashamed. But God, God knows our hearts. He knows our hearts inside and out. And so right now, just where you're at, just, um, just where we're praying right now, there's just something that you need to offer the Lord. Maybe you're just, you know, you've just been struggling with something in the world and it's been taking life from you. And you just want to say, God, I just want to give that to you. Lord, I've been lusting in this way. And Lord, it's been bringing me death and I don't know what to do. And it just starts with bringing that to the Lord right now. Just with bringing your heart. And God loves you and God forgives you. Maybe you've just attached yourself to someone. And you've just been fantasizing about being with them. And now your crush has become so unhealthy and it's bringing you death. And maybe if that's you... I just want to pray with you this morning that you would just detach that. That's, that's lusting. Maybe you've just let your mind go too far in certain things. Maybe you're just completely struggling right now. I just want to tell you that God is with you. You know, faith isn't necessarily believing that God's going to do everything you tell him to do. Faith is believing that God says who he is and will be who he says that he is. Right now, we need a God that is loving and that forgives us and heals us. And right now, if you need a healing, I just want to pray with you this morning. Jesus, we just come before you. And Lord, we declare that we want to be men and women of purity. But Lord, we realize that we're doing that amidst a world where there's so many pitfalls. Lord, we realize that the, that the more that we get closer to you, the less that we're going to look like the world around us. And Lord, that saying yes to you means saying no to certain things around us. But, Lord, we desire that intimacy with you. We desire depth with you, and we desire that commitment to you, Lord. So, God, we just give ourselves over to you this morning, Lord, and we, um, Lord, we love you, and we want to do that together. And so we just, we praise you in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen.